So we have, as Stephanie said, we entered into the portion of Torah about Joseph. We've exited the story of Jacob and Esau, and we entered into the story of Joseph. And I always ask Adonai for new revelation regarding the story of Joseph, because when you're a Messianic Jew and you've been in a Messianic Judaism for as long as I have, I'm an old-timer, you learn how Joseph is a type and shadow, as Stephanie said, of Yeshua. And he so much is. You know, he was a brother of the Jewish people, but they hated him, and he said, I'm going to be king over you. But they hated him, so they kind of kicked him out, like what happened with Yeshua. But they thought he was dead and gone, but he wasn't really dead. He became a, a leader over a Gentile nation. I mean, does that sound familiar? Does that sound like Yeshua? Right? The Jewish people booted him out. They thought he was dead, but really he became a leader over this other nation. And he looked very Egyptian. He had the walk down and the, the hat and whatever's needed to walk like an Egyptian. Uh, and so the Jewish brothers didn't, th- thought he was dead, but really he was in charge over there. And then um, the famine came and they ultimately had to come to him. And they they went to him. The interesting thing is they went to him, but they had no idea who he was because he looked so Egyptian. He just looked so non-Jewish to them. But ultimately, he stripped off the garments that make him look non-Jewish, and they recognized him. And that's part of what we do in Messianic Judaism. We remove the Egyptian garments from Yeshua. So his Jewish brothers could say, oh, I know who he is. Right. So anyway, there's so much of that in the story of Joseph. Um, there's so much of that in the story of Joseph. But I'm not going to talk about any of that because I just did. So I asked God and I, I don't want to just talk about that because I, I know that like the back of my hand. I learned it so much. Give me something new, Adonai, if you would, if you will. And um, what he gave me was one of the first verses in this Torah portion, which is where Joseph was kind of overseeing his brothers when they were pasturing the flock. And he went back to dad, and he gave him a report. In this case, it was a bad report. And I looked into some of the Jewish commentaries, the rabbinic commentaries on that, and apparently, and it makes sense, he was his dad's right-hand man. Joseph was his favorite. We know that he was dad's favorite because, number one, it was the son of his old age, as Stephanie read. Number two, he was the son of the wife that he really loved in the beginning anyway. So he really loved Joseph because he really had a thing for Rachel, and he was Rachel's kid. So he was the favorite, but he also wound up being Jacob's right-hand man. Go and take care of business with your kids and with, with, your, with your brothers and let me know how it's going over there. And you report back to me how it's going. Right? So he kind of became their overseer. He was almost like second in command in the family. And they didn't like him because of that. And it came to me that Joseph seemed to have an anointing, a calling for being never the leader, but being second in command. He was the leader's go-to guy throughout his life. I mean, when he went into Egypt, he was, you know, he was in charge of a lot of stuff, but he was second to Pharaoh. Then the whole thing happened with Pharaoh's high libido wife, 
and he gets thrown in jail, into prison. He becomes second in command. Yes, Potiphar's wife. Thank you, Mark. Potiphar's wife, correct. And he gets thrown in jail, and, and he becomes second in command in jail. Like Even in the tribes, he sort of relinquished his place, because if you look at the tribes, the tribe of Joseph is often not spoke about. It's, it's his sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, half tribe of Ephraim, half tribe of Manasseh. So he kind of relinquished his place as like a leader of the tribe and kind of gave it to his kids, right? Because we, we see that often. So he was always in this place of serving the leader. And it seemed that he was really good at it, and a lot of rabbinic commentaries say that that was just his calling. He was the second in charge. He was the sec- He was the right hand man guy, right? It's almost like if you're if you're always the vice president but never the president, or let's say you're in a congregation and your calling is an elder or an assistant rabbi but never the rabbi. Like I know an elder, a team of elders that was at Messiah Conference in Pennsylvania. They went for prayer, and they were called, you guys are uh, platinum pillars, almost like saying you guys are like this, these awesome elders, right? And that's like your calling. And some people are called to be just awesome elders, but, but never the rabbi or never the leader, okay? And that's perfectly fine because one thing that speaks to me about the, like the org chart of the kingdom, does everybody know what an org chart is? Or is that sort of too much of a, a, like a corporate term? Like, take any organization, any organization. Take, I don't know, take a baseball team, right? You got, all right, you guys are going to have to forgive me. I grew up in New York and New Jersey. I was a Yankee fan, okay? I admit it. All right? So you got Big Stein at the top. And, you know, I, what's the, see, everybody's leaving now. Let's go. Yeah, oh, he's leaving. Look at this. Let's go. I'm not scared of you. <laughs> Everybody's coming after me. But you're going to have to forgive me. I grew up in the days of like Reggie Jackson and, and can I say it? Bucky Dent. Oh my gosh. Hysterical. Well, that's my frame of reference. All right. Forgive me for that. So anyway, so you had like Steinbrenner at the top. So pick, this is an org chart. So you got Big Stein at the top. Steinbrenner, Right. And he was at the top of the organization. So picture like a circle or a node or a, a square up there, right? And he had people reporting up to him. Let's say he had 10 people reporting up to him. He had the general manager. He had the, I don't know, the guy that took care of Yankee State. Whatever, whatever his leadership team is, right? So you got him at the top. You got a bunch of lines and the people that reported to him. Does that make sense? And let's say you got the guy over here. Let's say he had a team. So there's a lines going out of him and, you know, people that reported up to him. So that's an org chart. It's an organizational chart, okay? So there's a couple of things. Wherever you are, because humanity and, and the world will say that the guy up top is the most important guy. But then we enter into kingdom mentality, and it's so not the case, okay? There's a couple of things in the org chart of the kingdom. Number one, God will take it and flatten it. And every single node in the org chart rolls up to Adonai. Okay? So in a way, we are all like second in command. We're all like Joseph. We're like called to be the second in command to the Lord. Right? And, it's, and that's okay. You know, it's, it's an amazing place to be. We're like the second in, you know, we're given so much authority by the Lord, but we submit to the Father. We submit to him. 
okay? But the second thing that the, that the org chart of the kingdom does, it totally turns it on its head that the guy that's normally on top is really on the bottom because he's serving everybody and he's lifting everybody up. So even in a congregational setting, you may have like the rabbi or the pastor or whoever it is that's normally in the top org chart. Yeshua, once he said that the greatest among you is the servant, he flipped org charts on his head. And now it's like a reverse org chart where like the leader is on the bottom and he's because then that makes sense because he's lifting people up. But I feel so passionate wherever you may be in that org chart you are no less important than anyone else. It is a divine ownership that you have of that. And it doesn't even need to be like in a church setting or a, a congregational setting, a synagogue setting. We're all in some level of an org chart. Anybody that has a job is in an org chart somewhere if you got a boss. Okay? And that whole thing is such a holy thing. This is why I'm such a fan of go and get a job because there's growth in that experience and there's, there's holiness in that experience in so many ways because number one, wherever you are in that org chart, even if you're at the, what's supposedly the bottom, which is really not the bottom, but it, 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 let's say you're cleaning the toilets, right? That is your, that is what you own divinely. So that, for, for, for that time, that season that you're at the job, Adonai has given you, that is your, you are a leader in that bathroom. You are a leader in that bathroom. Serve as unto the Lord. Whoever it is above you, submit to him as unto the Lord. And it's such a holy thing to do that. The whole concept of that, of owning where you are, and submitting to that person above you is a divine thing that there's so much growth for everybody in it. Even in the, in the nodes of the org chart where you have like a leader and like somebody who's reporting up to him, that, just those two, is a holy thing because it enables the, the whole idea of mentorship and discipleship. Because we, although we all kind of roll up to the Lord and we're second in command to the Lord, there is divinity in the rolling up and this, the mentor-to-disciple relationship. And the Lord wants it. He set it up everywhere. He set it up in families. Kids, submit to your parents. Wives, submit to the husbands. Yeshua submits to the Father. The only one that doesn't submit to anybody is the Father. He doesn't submit to He can do whatever he wants. He submits to no one. He can do whatever he wants and not ask anybody. But even Yeshua submits to the Father. And even in, um, even in the Bible, everywhere I see anything, there's always this kind of an org chart type of thing happening. Moses, when it was first Moses, it was Moses here and like six million people, millions of people. And he couldn't handle it. So his, his uh, father-in-law said, I got a better idea. You know, you just have a, a couple of people reporting to you, and they're in charge of tens, and then people in charge of hundreds and things like that. So they set up this, this org chart. The kings had people that's reported up to them. When Paul was, was, was setting up his churches, he was the head of the church, and he had people, you know, that reported up to him. And even the apostles, after Yeshua uh, died and was resurrected, um, 
they, there were leaders in the church, right? There were leaders in the, in the early congregation. Like when they had an issue, like, you know, the Pharisaic believers came in and said, hey, everybody's going to get circumcised, you know, kind of went to the leadership. So there's always this concept of, of leader to servant, mentor to disciple. Even in the Jewish writings, the prophet Isaiah was the rabbi of Jeremiah. And Jeremiah was the rabbi of Ezekiel. And we even see that with Elisha and Eliyahu and Elisha, Elijah and Elisha. We know that Elisha was like a servant to Elijah before Elijah, Eliyahu, was taken up and he became a, a prophet, right? So there's such holiness there. So what the Lord wants to do with all of us, there's two things. There is our calling and there is our gifting. Now, for Joseph, in that role as second in command, he was clearly called to that role because we see him repeatedly in that role in the scripture, right? But he was also gifted in that role. But it's not always the case for all of us. Sometimes we are gifted in a way, but it is not our calling. Sometimes we will grow up and we will have the, you know, an amazing ability. We can play piano or we can draw really well or we're, we're good at organizational things or whatever it is. That could be like your, your talent, your natural ability. And then you come into the kingdom and the Lord says, I'm going to have you do something entirely different from that. Right? Because your calling and your gifting may be entirely different. And that is an amazing thing that the Lord does. I could tell you right now that when I came into this, into this role as a rabbi, I didn't have the calling or the gifting. <laughs> but it took, it took a while for me receiving the calling and catching up to the Lord's calling, which was in my life. When I was first called to be a rabbi, I, just rege- I didn't want it at all. And many of you know, I spent the first year plus here just doing it out of obedience, but not really out of any sort of desire. The calling was there, but like my desire was not there at all. And then there was a time that Susie and I just were done and we stepped down. And during those five or six weeks or so that we were at home and we stepped down from Mishkan David, the Lord put the calling into my heart and her heart. And all of a sudden, our desire intersected with his calling, and we haven't looked back since, okay? So when the Lord is bringing you to a place, he could be bringing you to a place that you have no idea why you're there, but there's holiness there because he's building something in you, and it's an amazing divine thing. I I can't, I, I will never forget my experience working at Pfizer Pharmaceuticals. Let me share what happened with me there. So I was a a nerd growing up, okay? I know I'm like the coolest guy ever now, but I was like dork central, okay, in high school and before. Got my butt kicked constantly, head wedgies, head shoved in the toilet. I mean, I was a dork. Okay, I was just nerd city, right? And I found computer programming. Dork, okay? Like, this was really early on. Like, right now, people make websites and things like that. But there was a time that my my parents bought this little computer. It was called a Commodore VIC-20. And 
you know, it didn't have even a disk drive. I mean, it had a tape drive. So if you had to, like, you want to play a game or something, it was on tape. So you had to wait. I'm going to play, you know, Dungeons and Dragons or Zork or something like that. Yeah, you had to wait for it to, the tape to go, like, took an hour to get there. Now I can play, you know? But anyway, I, I started to play these games called adventure games, which are kind of like you're in a story and it's all text-based. Like you're in a room and there are 200 red chairs and there's a Christmas tree at the front and a, a, a peace sign at the front and a handsome guy in the middle with a camera. What do you want to do? I don't know. Hug, hug, hug man. You walk over to the man in the middle and you give him a hug. You feel something in his pocket. Ooh, look, look at pocket. He has glasses in his pocket. You know, so, and then you just kind of go through it, and you're going through the story, and you're eventually in this world. And I used to love those types of games, so I, w- I used to wonder, like, how do they make these things? So I figured out how to break into it, hack into it, because I was a dork, and I figured out how to code it, and it blew my mind. And I learned how to program computers. So I used to like go to the mall in New Jersey and write computer programs and at Macy's and leave it for people on the screen, you know, and like it would have people go and enter in data about themselves. This is before anybody knew anything about privacy, you know, and then it would like pop up, loser, you're a loser. You know, I was a kid, all right? It's just stupid things, you know? And, but anyway, I learned how to be a really good computer programmer and I got a job as a computer programmer. I was also an introvert to the max. So computer programming at a company was great for me because all I had to do was just kind of like lock myself in a room, you know, tell me what you need. You, okay, this, the screen's got to do this, this button's got to do this, and you know, you click here and it goes here. No problem. I would go and code it. I didn't have to deal with anybody. It was just me and my computer, and it was really good for me. And I, I excelled in that. It was kind of like a natural gift. Then all of a sudden, my company gets bought out by Pfizer Pharmaceuticals, of Viagra fame, and, yeah, that's right, I said it, and um, actually more Lipitor fame, uh, but anyway, so, so now I'm working for Pfizer, and I find out that they don't hire computer programmers. They don't keep computer programmers like me on staff, okay, because they wound up outsourcing them, so they wound up paying folks in other countries like India who are doing it at much, much lower rates. So what do they do with me? and all the other computer programmers. They put us into a function called project management and business analysis. What the heck is project management and business analysis? I had no training in it. I didn't even know what it was. And there I was, expected to function. I was at Pfizer 11 years. And 11 years, I struggled. I had no idea how to do this. I tried to learn. I tried to mimic what other people were doing, learn from them. But, you know, sometimes at the end of the year, I'd get some fairly good reviews. Most years, I got really bad reviews. And eventually, they let me go. So now, I'm at another company here. I I work full-time, if you don't know that. So I'm at Citizens Bank in their corporate office. And I got a job as a project manager, business analyst. And I am, thank, it's all Adonai. It's all the Lord. I am excelling in this job in these divinely amazing ways. My boss is, they couldn't be more pleased with me. 
Like, it's, it's amazing what's, what's happening. And I only share this because I had no idea what I was doing. But it was preparation for what I'm doing right now. So right then, the calling of mine was to be in this project management, but I had no gift of it at all. But through the experience of hell, absolute hell, having to work like 16-hour days, I remember like, I remember being up, you know, working in the, all through the night, and then we were supporting an, uh, a, a user group that was in England, so they would come online in their morning, which was our three in the morning, and everything I did was, wasn't working, so they would call me. It was a nightmare. But all of that prepared me for what I'm doing right now, because I come into the job right now, and they were like, we need to do this, and all of a sudden, I'm like, yeah, I know how to do that. I did that at Pfizer. Let me do that. And now we need to do this. I'm like, yeah, I know how to do that. And it was just amazing. I'm getting enormous favor there because I stuck it out in, a, in an area where the calling of the Lord was there, but my gifting wasn't there, and the Lord was building something. And that's what he does with all of us, okay? So wherever you are, the Lord is growing something. So stick it out. It is a divine thing to just be and be uncomfortable, and submit. These are all divine things. So stick it out. It's like going back to the baseball analogy, you know? Like, the, you know, the, the, sometimes the worst baseball players make the best managers. You know? Like, they weren't so great. Like, they knew the technicalities, but they just weren't so great. They were always hitting ninth, like, their whole career. You know, they were just okay. You know, but the Lord was building something in there, and yeah, they had their you know, they're, they're the, 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 the cleanup hitters and all these types of things that they had to look at, and they're like, man, I'm just batting ninth, and I can't, I can't get up in the lineup. You know, all of a sudden, they finally retire, and they go into management, and they realize that all the stuff that they were learning as baseball players was helping them as a manager. They don't know how to hit the ball so well or whatever it is themselves, but they sure know how to teach somebody. And when the team is acting up, they know how to mentor them, and they know how to talk to people, because that's their gift. So the gift and the calling then matches up, and when, the, when Adonai creates the gift to match up with the calling, it is a divine thing. It is a holy thing, and it's a wonderful thing. So wherever you are in this org chart, there is holiness of whatever it is you're doing. Whatever it is your function is, whatever you're doing, there is divinity, there is holiness to it. Own it as unto the Lord. If you're cleaning the toilets, clean it like it's unto the Lord. If you're vacuuming the floors, vacuum it as unto the Lord. There is divine holiness in that. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. In wherever you are, in whatever you're doing, in your life, in your family, in your job, it may seem like it stinks, but it's a holy divine appointment that you have there. I feel so passionate about that. Holy divine appointment. Whatever you are doing, that is yours, given to you by the Lord, by Yeshua himself, to serve in that position. And that is a holy thing. 